0: You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about, actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property Even Though You're Scared Shitless.
1: And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property.
0: Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? The, elephant in the room.com.au
1: Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is generally nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. Today we're going to talk about prop
0: tech. Ever heard of it? Well, if you haven't, it will only be a matter of time before you do. In recent years, there's been a proliferation of innovators working on all manner of technological solutions to problems plaguing both the real estate industry and its customers. Some platforms provide new ways to address existing problems, while others promise to redefine how entire property transactions are done. Some innovations originate from within the industry, and many more come from other disciplines. And from the outside, it looks as if there are a number with similar ideas racing to get to market first. Some will hit pay dirt, and many will fail. In this episode, we pick the brains of a passionate prop techie, Kylie Davis, now, we've had Kylie on the podcast before. Her property journalism background, combined with her time at Research Powerhouse called Logic, gave her plenty of insights into why property makes people crazy. And you can find out why in episode 30. And since then, Kylie has immersed herself in the world of PropTech and become quite a leading figure in that area. In fact, she's one of the people behind Australia's PropTech Summit, which was launched last year. Now, she herself has become a PropTech entrepreneur, having launched Home Prezzo, a content marketing solution for real estate agents. So who better to give us a glimpse into this world and to help us find out what's coming our way? Thank you for joining us, Kylie. Thanks for having
1: me. Hi, Kylie. Good to see you again. Great to see you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So, you know, two passions of mine, property I love and technology. I love kind of seeing what's happening and what's changing and things like that. So when you join those two words together, you get prop tech. So it's not not that difficult, but... (laughs) PropTech, what's got you excited?
2: So look, there's lots of, there's, PropTech's a really broad church and um, and it goes all the way from residential and the elements of residential. So, um, in, so uh, how we sell real estate, how we buy real estate, how we manage real estate once, you know, lease it, all that sort of stuff. But then it also goes all the way through building and construction yeah. and the facilities management sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. then it goes all the way, kind of nudges, uh, all the way back around almost towards smart cities. Mm. And so when we actually follow the whole tech kind of journey, you see all of this innovation going on to make it easier for us to buy, sell, rent, live in, build, transact, share information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole lifestyle thing is really, it, it's really a, around changing our lifestyle dramatically.
1: But I mean, that's really interesting just even that point because, a lot of people think the property market is just real estate agents, right? But oh, no. when hmm. you start to open it up like that, you know, it shows how many industries are kind of leveraged off or, you know, is actually in the property industry.
2: Yeah, and you think about too the whole kind of disruption and, you know, look, there's lots of agony around this, oh, we, you know, disruption changes everything. But there's only one, well, there's a few things that are um, pretty crappy about the real estate experience. You know, buying a home and selling a home is a really painful experience still as a, as a buyer and seller. Renting is pretty awful if you're mm. a tenant. Yeah. It's also uh, less so but, you know, hard as an investor to work out what to do. But the only thing worse than buying or selling a property or renting a property is actually building one mm. or renovating one. <laughs> you know, these the processes that we go through, if you think about how simple things are on your phone with Facebook or with, uh, you know, with all of the, the way that technology has made our lives faster, more um, transparent you know, easier to do things, and then you think about the very manual processes that still exist in selling and buying, and the handoff of information mm. manually. And then you, th- I don't, I mean, you guys have obviously renovated properties as well, but you think about I what mean, it's like it. to, oh, it <laughs> is its own kind of hell. So the only thing worse than buying or selling or renting is actually building or renovating a property, because mm. when you think about how really manual, you know. The hand, you know, the the handoff of paperwork mm. from one person to the next, the handoff of money from one person to the next, the project management of ringing people and hoping they turn up and then they don't turn up and then ringing them again and chasing them and you know, just the whole thing is really, you know, not you know, well, I used to say 1984 called, but I think when mm. it comes to building, it's actually 1864 called and, mm. like, the crofters still, you know, are trying to do it the same way that they <laughs> always did. We Building and renovating a proper, any kind of building really still is a very handcrafted experience. Mm. And so Um, what
1: technology is coming out there to help that process?
2: In construction? Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of stuff um, coming out around prefab and manufacturing things on site and then assembling more. We're seeing a lot more process around um, how things get assembled. So um, I saw a great piece of tech recently. You know, you don't even think about this, especially as a residential person, but when you build a really tall tower... If you're delivering building materials to the things that need to be go on to level sixteen, yep, often you know one of the big problems they have, one of the big inefficiencies is that is that trucks sort of line up around the street to drop off concrete mm. or mm. you know metal or like I don't know, whatever things are that they build, and there's a bloke in a in the basement of that building with a whiteboard trying to coordinate. The, the truck's coming in and so look, there's technology coming mm. through that's actually, you know, improving all of those processes. So from prefab, making it faster to build, making it easier to project manage, easier to know and, and more accurately know what materials are required exactly when so they, they turn up at exactly mm. the right time and, um, you know, um a diary, a pen, a mobile phone and sitting on the dashboard of the ute maybe not being, mm. you know, the way that we... Yeah. The way that we the organize project it. Project manager. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: Now, in the residential <laughs> space, let's say I'm, um, you know, got a house and I'm thinking about, you know, doing something to it. Is there any technology that you know of that can allow me to visualize that or project manage that better myself?
2: Uh, there is some stuff coming out. I think what's really interesting from a property investor space is there's some very cool tech coming out that is letting you see before you even decided if you want to buy the property what the property's potential is. So um one of the best or uh, well, one of the most interesting things um i see out there at the moment is a is a company called archistar and archistar is able to is is able to look at all of the um you know you, you type in the address or you look at the, any address around the country and it tells you if the property on that on that block of land is actually built to its maximum potential yep. mm. so uh, so especially for commercial or for you know big residential developments it can tell you if there's potential to get more value out of it and then it's able to um, give you an understanding of what could you build on it in in sort of minutes. So you just mm. you know this is what it would look like, and this is what the plans would look like if it was a three if it was full of three bedroom units or two bedroom units or one bedroom units or mixed residential you know commercial mm. stuff, and um and it can help you understand what it would cost to build it and therefore what you would be able to sell it for.
0: This is all AI, right?
2: Yeah. So yeah, all AI driven, but it's built it's built off the big data sets of not just property value data sets and land location and pl- but planning and zoning and, you know, design, you know, design approvals and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, you don't own that land, right? So no, you're just it...
2: looking at it going, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll be hired or not. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that gives the <laughs> opportunity
1: for the person who, you know, works in the development space is they could, you know, throw a few algorithms on top of each other and say, look, we want to build something around 50 mil, we want a profit margin of X, Exactly. You know, go find me some pieces of land. Yep. And then that would say, well, then you can go buy options on it and get DAs and things like that. So, allowing people to that search probably for a developer is such a big, intensive part mm. of their current uh, process. And, and
2: they throw a lot of money at researching it yeah. all too. Yeah. So it's really, it's really speeding up and and improving that research process.
1: Yeah. Now, in terms of other areas of the property spectrum, what some areas that you also find quite interesting? Obviously, you've done a lot in the property management space. What's happening there?
2: Yeah. So we're seeing kind of the property, the technology and property management kind of falls into four main categories. So the first category is the the innovators who are looking to make real estate, well, to, to get rid of real estate agents altogether and to make it really easy for landlords to, to manage their own properties and for tenants to find landlords that are private, you know, that are wanting to do it. And for that whole process for a landlord and a tenant to be really transparent. So there's, there is, a you know, about a quarter of the market is looking at ways to remove agents out of the equation. But then the other three areas are looking at ways to probably complement what um, what property professionals do. So um, the first um, area is a whole lot of innovation and there's lots of this has been around for a while, but it's getting faster and smarter and better is around um, how agents or how property managers do their job and how property investment people do their job. So making it, Putting property management into the cloud so that instead of your property managers being stuck behind desks, they can get out and inspect and capture the data on an inspection at the time and then have it loaded up. And um, so really speeding up what they do. And then the next bit is looking at ways to increase the ways we rent properties. So not just... um, you have to have a you know you have to buy an investment property and you have to have it permanently rented for mm. you know between 6 to you know 6 months or 12 months cuz mm. they're the options you know yep. black or white um but things like um in that sort of airbnb space either helping agents to manage short term rentals um or holiday rentals through the big platforms or helping um or inventing new ways so really another interesting little um st- startup that's pretty brand new but called Rentality, looks at midterm rent. Mm. And what's midterm rent? Well, a midterm rental market is a rental market around hospitals, universities, hubs. Um, in between hubs, homes. In between homes. Yeah, I, look, Airbnb or a short-term rental is still too exp- – or a hotel is still mm. too expensive yep. and actually it's not homey enough. I yeah. want a home but I can't take 12 months and I probably – Want like a serve? I, I actually want furniture there that's kind of okay yeah. to do. Uh, um, and so and that's really exciting for lots of reasons because we have a grow an older, um, you know, an older population. They're looking for you know they're looking to live much more mobile mm. um, lives and be traveling a lot more if I want to go to Europe for three months, but I don't want to, I don't want the hassle of worrying about Airbnb people in and out, in and out of my property. I just want to rent it to one person for Mm. that whole time. It starts to open up that as opportunities to put different kinds of properties into the rental market in different ways.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because, um, you know, there is legislation trying to go through right now about Airbnb. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and they're not sure exactly what's going to happen, but they're saying 180 days is the maximum you can Airbnb your place. Yeah. But it, if you've got 180 days left, 185, 186, um, you know, then you're going to look for midterm rentals, right? Yep. And so but, al- but
0: also if you have a three month lease, then that doesn't count into your 180 days. More than, a, I think exactly. it's more than 21 days. Well, you can actually have yeah. a lease for, yeah. for three months. Yeah. And, yeah.
2: And, and look, I, you know, if you're going to be away or stuff like that, you probably want a property manager to look after that. You want yeah. the protection of the rental kind of structure around you and the property management structure around you. And and you want someone to be in your corner, so managing that property while you're you yeah. know, not mm. there. But we also see that's really starting to change. That will change the definition of renters in our heads. So you mm. know we have this kind of old, you know, landlords and tenants. I mean yeah. that is seriously from, from you know, feudal days. Um, but if you think of investors and renters, we are seeing that renters are making up a, a, a becoming. Much different in our heads to what the stereotypes like. We're not just talking about boys in their twenties, you know, doing falafel right. in their hand, kind of you know shared accommodation stuff. The you know when we did the property, well <laughs> <laughs> when we did the property, it, we still <laughs> just like, they just, you <laughs> know like just the whole you know mm. sharehouse catastrophe yeah. kind of thing going on. We see that you know I think about forty percent of renters are um, in couples and families, and they are earning over one hundred twenty thousand. Most of them are saving to buy. You know, a significant proportion of those people are saving to buy a property. Mm. They may you know a, a proportion of them will own a property somewhere else. They're renting in the place they want to live, and they own a property somewhere else. So they're also um, they're also rent uh, investors as well rent as vesting. renters, rent vesting, mm-hmm. um, and and in the in that sort of midterm rent space, we see you know the the demand for that is in university lecturers or you know around hubs of employment that mm. have high you know fl- not fly in fly out but have high uh, you know like around Silicon Valley we're seeing that yep. sort of stuff
1: because transient
2: yeah ch- I, I'm going to be located in in the valley I'm going to be located here for like four months but yep. then I'm going back home to yep. You know, so people are, and they have high standards, or, or doctors. So, you know, a lot of locum doctors get located in a country town or around a, a hospital area for, you know, mm. four to six months. Um,
1: Even management consulting, right? Like, yeah, you know, we've yes, got a project exactly. and, yep. you know, f- you know, 50 staff are coming from KPMG or Deloitte. And then yeah. You know, a, where do they stay? Yeah, you know? there's a
2: lot of high-worth individuals that are now looking for new and better options and the old-school way of turning up for a 15 minute inspection at some random time of the day to queue up in a queue of you know mm. people that's not going to fly uh, so so we're seeing that and then the last kind of quarter of the of the uh, innovation is happening happening around that tenants aren't who we think they are anymore and in fact a whole lot of products and services making it better and easier and um more transparent for renters to let people know who they are, what their expectations mm. are and to find the kind of stuff that they're looking for to rent. So, you know, there is a FIFO thing where if you're renting, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to buy a fridge and move it every mm. six months or four months or or buy your furniture and put it somewhere. Sometimes you're just living in a place because that's where you've got to be for a while. Yeah. So. Um, so we're seeing a lot of options around that, you know, ways to afford your bond because if you've yeah. got bond in one spot and you're looking to buy a new one, finding the bond again might be hard. Um, all sorts of uh, things around, you know, trust accounting or yeah,
0: lots of changes. So that's on the, the property management side. That's just like one little tiny piece of this whole puzzle. But But I am interested because, you know, we've had a couple of episodes where we've discussed this idea of technology replacing agents. And I like the, you know, interesting that that's one quarter of, say, in the property management space. Do you think, I mean, I, and I think to myself as a landlord, do I really want to be dealing directly with tenants? You know, there's, there's an absolute value to have expertise in between. Um, you know, do you, do you see that that decentralisation could work? Do you think that the access to information and technology will will re- or could pot t- potentially replace um, property managers?
2: Look, I don't think it will ever completely replace property managers, but I think what we're seeing happening across a whole spectrum of things going on in our lives at the moment is this, the technology is giving us more choices and it's making us it's making it easier for us to choose it. There's always been a proportion of landlords that have wanted to do it themselves. Yeah. Um I think there was some recent research from realestate.com that said that about 30% of the property market now is self-managed wow. in terms of landlords. And now, and I don't know if that's up or down. It feels mm. higher than what I would have mm. thought it was previously. And it's possibly because a lot of these app, uh, these new apps are coming out. But um there's two parts of the equation. It's a little bit like it's, there's always been a proportion of the selling market that's wanted to sell it themselves too and not deal with an agent. And um, you know, we can have the conversation around. well, why is that? <laughs> that's not because the technology exists. That's probably because the service levels they yeah. received the last time they used a property mm. manager, and agent were so poor yeah. that they figure that it's probably
1: easier for them to do it themselves. Yeah. Until they get a bad tenant.
2: Until they get a bad tenant, then and they'll then probably they go, come right back. Then yeah. they go
1: straight back to the property manager. Exactly. They find exactly. It really hard to sell a property. Yeah. yeah.
2: But, um, but one of the other things that we're seeing that this is letting us do too is kind of like the, what I call the tuppus menu. of. Mm. So we're seeing all of the services of a property manager actually get broken down in like menu style mm. so that landlords who want to do a bit of it themselves or, you know, maybe they just want to handle all their own repairs or they want to, you know, they want to. Because the property's at the end of the street, they want to collect the rent or whatever. You know that they, they yeah. can actually just ask, have an agreement with a property manager to do different things and, and, and making that, yeah, pick and mix, yeah, literally. <laughs> so I mean, that's a, that's a small that's a, plate sharing. <laughs> that's a really
1: interesting, you know, strategy that a lot of tech comps, companies, you know, you know, go, you know, they don't go for the full chicken, I guess, the full hog. Uh, uh, yeah. They kind of, you know, go for the leg first. Um, <laughs> you know, it's called debundling. You yeah. know, the service offering, you know, and it's what happened a lot in the fintech, like financial mm. sector you know, you want to replace the banking sector. You don't go straight for the home loan. You create a easy bank account and then yeah. you add on a credit card. And then once you've got the trust and then you go for the home loan and things like yep. that. And so it's, it's a bit of a stage process. And I think that's what what's happening in the property industry is, you know, let's just try to focus on one part. And then if, we, if that's successful, then we'll expand. Yep. My view in the property market though is that just like the banking system, you've got two massive powerhouses that are technology companies already How are we going to dislodge the kind of the domains and the real estate company, real estate.com to you to, you know, are we actually going to see any really other great property fintech out there or are these guys just going to kind of snap them up?
2: I don't think they'll snap everybody up. I think because I don't think it's in, you know, so the big companies have a vision for what they want to deliver to and and how they want to get closer to their market, how they want to offer more services and charge more money for, for their services, Um, that's pretty standard business practice that I guess they're following. So they're going to be interested in the innovators that are doing stuff in the space that they feel is adjacent to where they are. What I think, like, if we want to, there's a couple of things. If we want to take it on, we need to get our brains around what an amazing service looks like for our clients in our businesses and in our industry and we need to be working towards that rather than worrying about the technology because what we see is happening in tech at the moment is that technology is actually a leadership issue and and one of the biggest problems and issues and you know chewy challenges that we're kind of dealing with as a society right now is, look, the tech can let us do absolutely anything and it will amplify everything we do. So if we're really rubbish at something, it will amplify mm. how many people know that we're rubbish. If we're really <laughs> great at something, yep. it will hopefully amplify how good we are at stuff. And so our agony in in real estate is not, should stop being about how do I get Marion accounts to adopt to this new cloud software? It should actually be, galvanizing our people towards what does an amazing selling experience look like what does an amazing renting experience look like with us how could how can we make this as frictionless and painless and joyous as possible because we're putting people into homes yeah. mm. we're and freeing could, up people's capital to buy their next home and have their next adventure how can we make it about people and about home and about that wonderful sense of mm. you know of you know because it's it's marriage, baby's house or home, like in one of those, mm. it doesn't matter what order you do it in. But they're <laughs> the three kind of big and then there's death and divorce. But but the three but the problem with home is that it's often on that negative side of the of the scope, not mm. the positive side when it should and we all want it to be this amazingly positive experience. So if as an industry, as as individual principals running real estate agencies, as property management teams, as property investors, if we have a really clear idea on what we want to, how we want to deliver our services and then we work to adopt the technology that will allow us to do that as easily as possible yep. and we get behind the businesses that are helping us to do that as quickly as possible, then we'll be able to compete with the the deep pockets of the of the bigger companies that are sort of looking to munch up as much of the... <laughs>
0: And that's a that's Landscape. two different mindsets. So you can have the fearful mindset, of, oh my god, disruption. How's it going to ruin my, my yeah? Life? How can I avoid <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, rather as opposed to, well, this is the service. This is what I this is my vision for what I want to provide to my clients, my customers, and how is this technology going to facilitate that and help that. Which sort of brings us back to this sort of thing about, you know, there's there's innovators trying to provide solutions for consumers and in, in many ways bypassing, you know, the incumbents in the industry and then there's innovations helping the industry, you know, become better. How much of this is coming from within the industry through um, people knowing and understanding the pain points mm. versus coming from outside the industry where people are saying, oh, you know, we've discovered this technology or invented this technology or I can see how we can apply this technology so I guess you know is is it sort of polarized like that, or how does it work? It's it's a little bit
2: more nuanced. There's it's there's a couple of things to kind of note. So there's been big suppliers to the real estate industry for a long time, like CoreLogic and you know Domain and PriceFinder and like lots of big company and and um, Rockend. Like there's mm. been lots of businesses out there for the last twenty 30, you know twenty five years or so that have been doing sort of technology in the real estate space. And what's mm. happened over the last kind of five ten years is that a whole bunch of you know smart people who used to work for them, I'm smiling <laughs> but who used You're to work for them of course <laughs> but who used to work for those businesses and and at the same time that cloud computing has just accelerated mm. and big data has accelerated and all these sorts of things have just accelerated, a whole bunch of people have come out of those businesses and gone, we know this industry, we love this industry. we think we can see what could be done and so they've started their own little businesses to or innovations to mm. to to look at how they could help yeah. So we've seen the suppliers to the real estate industry kind of have this explosion of new age kind of, you know, bright young, think well, bright young things, I'm going to say young, but, you know, people in the space looking to to help. At the same time, globally, we've seen the investment in prop tech. So you were talking about fintech before, Chris. So prop tech is behind, like fintech came first and prop tech mm. is mm. behind it. But at the same age, like prop, when prop, sorry, when PropTech, now that PropTech it was the same age as fintech. We're expanding and accelerating five times faster than mm. fintech was. Really? Yeah. So you know, when so so back in um, I think the numbers are back in 2012. There was about 212 million invested globally in prop from venture capital firms. Mm. This year, it's predicted to be 20 billion. Mm. So that's like a nine thousand percent increase in mm. funding. So Is a lot so cheap wasted.
0: Oh well, Do I don't know, I mean? know. It's hard to say. Probably, <laughs> look.
2: the most venture caps work on a theory that ninety um, percent of their things won't fly. They'll come. They'll, they'll get out of probably t- another ten percent. Mm. But they have a spread of risk to make sure that the ten percent pays off big time to cover the the other losses. They're not in the business of losing money.
1: Mm. But it's well, a really interesting stat that a lot of people would probably miss that So that means if you hear someone and they've raised money from venture capital, yeah. Um, and the, and the ones they give money to that's, they've looked at a hundred to give it to that 10. Right. Mm. Um, and so then once you've got that money, the venture capital funds, like you're going to guys be so successful mm. with funding you. They know they've got a new 90% chance of failing. Um, and they're there, it's like, they're one of 10 bets for them. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, think that, you know, even if you raise money, it means you're going to be successful. A lot of people know that's actually not it's actually a it's good actually sign. Well, there's really lots good, of
2: different yeah. ways, like lots of different rounds that you have to go through to yep. raise money too. Yeah. Like it's not like, oh, we raise money good, we're golden, let's done, you know. Yeah. It's a bit of a, like a, there's seed funding and and then there's, you know, mm. Series A and Series B and Series however many series you need yeah. and then you get to IPO. So it's its its own slippery slope in lots of ways. But I think too, as Australians, we have a really interesting or, or a different mentality around it to the, to the US. The US are very positive and enthusiastic and, and gung-ho in there in how they do it. They have a really solid whereas Australians we're a lot more conservative, a lot more skeptical, a lot more dismissive of it. And I think that's to our detriment. Like I don't think we need to quite go down it get so, you know, over over the top as some of the Americans do. But but we are actually our own worst critics and therefore we cut down stuff because so while we say, oh look, you know, ninety percent of those prop techs will fail that get funded, Well, define failure. Like It's it's not like they're out on the street living homeless. It's that they couldn't make the business idea work at the time, but they all learnt like a whole pile of skills and then they went off to other platforms that actually took those skills and turned them into other things. Something else. And probably the venture cap exited in some way during that time anyway. Mm. So it's really rare. So our definition of failure is, oh, my God, it all went to absolute shit and everyone, you know, turned... It went terribly, you know. It all went down it, the toilet. It
0: didn't turn into Atlassian. That's that's our definition. No, of that's right. yeah. It's either Atlassian <laughs> yeah. or it's give me Atlassian or give me death, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but or Canva, or you there, know. Yeah. There, I was I was reading a report. There were stats around the failure rate of new businesses, and I think it was an American report. Now I'm trying to remember where it was, but it did say that the highest rate of failure, if you once again, what's your definition of failure? But if you if you got a new business getting off the ground. Those with venture capitalist funding actually failed at a greater rate than those that self-funded. Mm. Yeah. And and part of that is because there's a call, there's a point at which you say, right, that's it, we don't believe it's going to work in our time frame so therefore we're just Chopping yeah. it. Yeah, mm. like yeah,
2: we're pulling the pin.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I guess that's the danger if people do go out there and find funding through that vehicle.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I mean I think it's just with technology. It takes a lot longer for even if you've got something that's innovative, you've got to have like the early adopters mm. that will use it. And that's going to take a few years till you get all these test case and then you pivot and then you get a, you know, better market fit and then, you know, market awareness. And, you know, a lot of people think this new technology is out and then tomorrow it's going to take over the uh, world yeah. kind of like an Uber no. th- moment and very few technologies actually get that But Uber's traction. not even making
0: any money. So it's like at the end of the day, what makes, what makes it stick? Is it the technology itself or is it the marketing or is it the solution, or is it the fact that it hits the pain point? But even then, they could hit a pain point without communicating that effectively. You know what I mean? There's so many elements to it, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think it's a, um, I think it's a, you know, the happy coincidence of all of those things together that you know come together to make it to make it work. I mean, think back to like think back five years ago to Facebook. I mean, it didn't mm. have any advertising on it. it. Was losing, you know, it was spending its money hand over fist, and mm. then they introduced ads, and everyone went, "No, oh, it won't work." And it, mm. <laughs> I, oh yeah, didn't we show yeah. Um So <laughs> so so we we um, just because it you know these things don't follow a really it, the trajectory isn't just up mm. you know there's a lot of learning that goes on and I think there's a, and 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 not all um, prop techs and not all innovators are exactly the same so some venture caps look at funding really early stage but most actually look at funding. In Australia now, I think there's three uh, three major funders um, that are all pretty brand new, um, and they all have different ways and styles that they like to invest in. But most of them are looking for businesses that have already been established, yep. have either got you know friends and family to invest in them to get them up and running, and have a proven product that's out in the market that is showing some traction. And then they look at those businesses to see if we put the might of our processes and structures and funding behind you, could we scale you? So mm. NAR, which is in the US, the um, National Association of Realtors, they have a really successful program called NAR Reach over in the US and they've just um, launched it here in Australia. This year will be their first intake in Australia mm-hmm. Um for, you know, NAR, which is a combination of Australia and Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the businesses that get into that, you know, basically you become part of NAR, you go onto their conference circuit, you get access mm. to thousands of agents because there's wow. 1.2 million agents in mm. the US. And so your ability to scale, if you've got a good product working in Australia that you can demonstrate will work in the US... Um, just that, that is like golden. That, yeah, uh, yeah. That's an absolute God. And so Active Pipe, um, Box Brownie, um, and now Rate My Agent are all in that program. Wow.
0: Mm.
1: So the elephant in the room is 100% for you.
0: The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help. All of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions.
1: But what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process.
0: Give us a review on iTunes. A five star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us.
1: Yeah, I think the I think biggest so. um, success stories in the U.S. is a company called Compass. Have you heard of yes. them? Um, yeah. I mean, it's an Australian guy. We thought the Aussie market was too small, basically, so I might as <laughs> well just do it in the U.S. And, you know, they're basically taking over the real estate market. I think they've got like 20, What do they do? Well, just uh, basically, you know, digitalized it's- the whole real estate experience the for agents, and I um, think they've got like 20,000 agents or something. Stupid. Yeah, I, like, I
2: do have the numbers written down because I was looking at them the other day. So they're the single biggest investment in PropTech at the moment. Um, so out of the 20 billion, I think their market cap at the moment is around 6.4, and their last round of funding was something like 4.4 4 billion. Like wow. just, just, they've just re- received ridiculous yeah. amounts. I think they've got about 10 billion of that 20 billion. Um, Over the last couple of years, so (laughs) they're they're funded by SoftBank, which um you know which you may know from uh, funders such as Uber and um, WeWork. (laughs) WeWork, yeah, (laughs) like they've really. uh, And what's the other one? DoorDash or something, which is Mm. I've heard of. I think they do um, food to your door or something, um, in the US. So so they have a really big successful. um, And and the way that that's changing real estate, and the way that that's changing our industry, is that SoftBank are funding it when as a business, if you start a business up from scratch and you're growing it out of proceeds that, you know, out of your sales and things like that, then you need to be making a profit in order to keep investing. Mm. Compass don't need to be making a profit in order to be spending money on investing Mm. in what they're doing. So they are building this, or they have built this astonishing platform that again, their mission is to make real estate. um, I was reading the mission statement, but something along the lines of, we want it to be a beautiful experience for everyone who's looking for a, like trying to find home, mm. and um and it's got nothing to do. They say nothing about the technology and right. that, but but they employ just as many uh, programmers and data engineers and um and tech people as they do real estate agents. You know, yeah. so what we're seeing in in uh, now they're not a franchise. They're just they're, com- they're they own you know they have a structure where their agents work for them, but. But we're seeing in the kind of big real estate brand space that, well, what does a franchise do now? Mm. Um, in yeah. the past, they always did marketing and they did technology and they did, um, you know, and they did processes and training and stuff like that. And I thought, like, well, is that what we need? So that is that be, what's needed that now? That could be like, disrupted.
0: Absolutely. I, it model. is. I think it mm. is. Yeah, yeah, it
2: completely is. Yeah. And
0: it's sort of interesting too, because the thing about, you know, the the fail fast idea, which is obviously very pretty prolific in, in innovation. Um Means though that people could be adopting technology and adopting new platforms and the rest of it that actually will fail and, and won't be around next year. You know, mm-hmm. so I guess that's one of the risks with it as well in terms of taking things on board and saying, right, well, I'm going to implement that in my business and bring it on board. You know, bring it in, and then to find that risk that maybe it won't take off.
2: I think there's some things you can do to mitigate that risk though. So, so the the good question to ask is, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is that I upload all my data into something I can't get it out, and um, and then it doesn't mm. work, and I, I I neither can neither do the thing that I was supposed to do with this technology, and I've lost all my data, and yeah. I've lost all yeah. my business into it. It's pretty rare. I can't think of a single tech company that would do that to mm. you. At the end of the day, if the whole thing failed, you get all your data back. Yeah. Mm. So um, and so while it would be annoying, deeply annoying, lost time, time lost energy, lost all of training. And, yeah, and all yeah, yeah. But here's the thing too, it's like we tend to think about it, um, we tend to think about it like, so we have a lot of these little things that we can innovate, like a lot of these new programs that are coming in that we can innovate with. There's not a lot of sunk cost in terms of time and training because mm. when you go into the platform, you should be able to use it straight away. This is the new kind of tech that right. we're used to. Yep. We come at it, especially at our age, um, you know, thinking because we've had 20 years of technology behind mm. us already that oh, I'm going to have to learn a new program. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that. It's going to be so hard. It won't work. It'll, you know, it'll stall on me or it'll do this, you know, mm. it'll be hard. And we tend to kind of catastrophize that yep. in our heads. But but here's the thing too, like you we need as an industry to get better at small experiments and to understand the technology terms of, you know, minimal viable product mm. and proof of concept. Mm. So maybe you have, um, and so look at ways that we can conduct experiments in our business as to what works before we go the whole hog. Yeah. So I heard, um, I heard a really good example from a, a real estate agent over in Balmain who specialised in property management and she really liked some technology that had been presented to her. But she had concerns around it. I think it. I
0: know who that is. I yeah. think we've interviewed yeah, her. Lisa yeah. Inge. I'm Lisa guessing. Inge. Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, from uh, yeah she was, uh, she's she's on the RIO right. New South Wales committee. For, mm. um, prom- and so she she worked out. She decided that she would introduce this tech with um some of her um with her existing landlords because she could have a good conversation with them mm. to say, look, I I want to get my uh, we want to get your new tenants signed digitally. Um, we're a little bit anxious about how this is going to work, but we think that the benefits of it really outweigh the, the downside. So with tenants that are renewing existing contracts, um, are you okay if we try this? And they're like, yeah, it's a complete no brainer, do it. Mm. And so (laughs) she was able to do it and Mm. test it and then feel secure that it worked and then roll it out further. So you can break these things into smaller projects to give them a go, see how you're happy with that and then learn from like, and that's the fail fast thing. Well, if it didn't work, what didn't work about it? Was yeah. it that we didn't execute it properly? Mm. Was it that they didn't do what they said they were going to? Or risking to you know, cutting everything.
0: You haven't chucked everything Take into it. Take small bits. Yeah. 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 Take small bits.
1: So, you know, I guess for our listeners who are probably thinking, you know, what can I, how's it going to change my investing, right? How am I going to, you know, invest differently with technology? I mean, I can see that agents dealing with agents is going to be different. The actual buying process is going to be different. How you manage a process dealing with brokers is going to be different. You know, there's going to be great technology there coming out. But if we want to, like, new investment options, what sort of, you know, fintech or, you know, prop tech is coming out that, you know, allow us to invest in different ways that we hadn't had before? So
2: I think it's going to let us, so as investors, it's going to help us research stuff a lot more quickly, understand stuff a lot more clearly. Like, Mm. so, so, oh, right. I I get it now. Like not feel like it's extraordinary amounts of homework that we have to do. So it's not going to be as painful. Um, it's, which is going to make us feel more secure in what we're going to be doing. And it's then going to make us, uh, and the whole process is going to be a lot more transparent. So I think it's, I think it's going to take a Mm. lot of the fear, anxiety, and look, there's always going to be an element of that. And that's where you want a human to guide you through all that process. But you'll have access to all the information that you need at the time that you want it, and you'll be able to find it, and um, and, and and the whole process will be feel easier. But I think too, what we're seeing in the prop tech space that is changing property investment is is some stuff around um, how we invest. So at the moment, how do you invest in property? Well, you either buy a property and then you rent it out. Or you buy shares in a in a REIT or something, mm. and 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 they're kind of your options. I can't well, think you can of buy it. Yeah. brick. You, you can buy yeah, brick, but, but yeah. yeah. So you. All, but but Feet-feet and so we're seeing things like that. So we're seeing there's some um, these new ways thinking about well, how could I invest? So you know, Brick X is doing. You know, where well, you buy bricks in in different mm. properties. We're seeing some stuff in the super space come out where you know there are super funds that are just going out and buying yeah. residential properties, and you can buy shares in the. Well, you can buy memberships in the mm. super. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of rethinking too around as we get older ways that we can use the investment in our current property and let and basically instead of you know reverse mortgages ew but um, and no one wants to do that but we're seeing some innovative thinking around well letting people buy a share of your property and then sort of saying well when I die you get to exit and and at this agreed rate. Right. Or a agreed proportion of it. So mm. so but that then gives you, you know, quarter of a mil, half a mil to live off for the next mm-hmm. twenty so years or whatever. Creating so creating
0: a bit of liquidity in your property. In
2: your property, mm. yeah. Um and then you sell it and when you're dead, your kids sell it. And instead of them getting a hundred percent of it, they get maybe eighty, five percent or eighty mm. percent.
0: Yeah, some interesting space. And so on the um on the on the buying and selling side of things, I've seen some interesting things around this idea of um the pain point being lack of trust. So yep. agents don't necessarily trust buyers. Buyers don't necessarily trust agents. So you've got this whole, they don't necessarily trust owners either. and owner doesn't necessarily yeah, trust the agents. Yeah, buyers agent. are liars. Yeah, yeah everyone's everyone, everyone, no trusting each other and so everywhere, everyone's sort of got their guard up. You know, the owner typically wants more than it's really worth. The agent's got to try to flatter them into into listing with them. The agent's then got to go and talk to the buyers at slightly less than what it's worth so they get the interest and, and then hopefully dra- drag those two competing interests together to get a sale. I mean, that's a very simplified um, uh, overview of what happens. So I've been watching with interest some of these apps come up. You know, some of these new, uh, new solutions, shall we say, that supposedly say, right, well, an owner is going to get a valuation, and as long as they agree to sell within a certain percentage of that valuation, then they'll put it onto market, then that'll be trusted by buyers, and buyers will just automatically say, yes, yeah, sure, Mister Owner, I'm going to pay you what it's worth, and then this is miraculous, wonderful, agent-free transaction is going to take place. Have you seen a lot of that sort of thing around?
2: So. In the US the iBuyer craze is which mm. is a bit wrongly named I think cuz it's actually an iSeller but um yep. but what but the way that it works in its purest form is that there are companies out there and Open Door was the first to do this in the US um, and they do it and they they dominate the Arizona market so it's it, which is a lower like I, I think the median house price in Arizona is about 250,000 so right. it, it, these are this is the affordable end of the market that this is going off but in that space um Open Door turn up um, you you've got a house worth 250,000 and you don't want to deal with an agent and basically they say well we'll give you 250 well if it was worth 250 we'll say we'll pay you 235 no agent and we'll give you the cash tomorrow right. so they literally turn the cash around in about you know 48 hours so mm. you've got the like so you Pack it up in a U-Haul, and you shut the door for the last time, and that's it. You're gone. <laughs> um, and 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 that's kind of attractive, but that's attractive in the US for lots of reasons. Um, remembering that in the US, commission six percent, yeah. so three percent to the seller, three percent to the buyer usually. And um, and you know, and they would have, and there's lots of anxiety in the US around. Well, you know, when I sell my house, I have to do all these repairs, I have to get it staged, and so there's a lot of on costs as well. So. So, for a particular a bit of that part of the. Too, just quietly. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, oh no, quite absolutely. Yeah. Preparation. Yeah, yeah, yeah preparation mm. goes on. Uh, and then you get the house beautiful and you go, why are we selling it again? Yeah. It looks fine. <laughs> Finally, it looks lovely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I should have done this 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, why, the, why, the why idea we?
1: for Open Door there is that they buy it a bit cheaper than the market rate and then they resell it that's and make a profit. And they, you know, put a bit of, you know, might do a small reno on it or. You know, so it's kind of like we buy any car, we buy any house, we'll mm. give you a price sort of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I but that's think... where it's a commodity. You know, if they're treating it like a commodity, then... Yeah. Well,
2: there's two plays at it. And so as property people, we go, oh, you know, so they're making their money on um, renovating it and then reselling it. It's like, no, they're making their money on the data mm. because yeah. they actually, because that they now have a property, to, they have a lead to sell. That's mm. exactly And so they right. can then make that so available to, to other agents. So there's right. a big data play going on behind it as well. Ah. And in fact, everyone who even clicked the button on the website to say, so Zillow, now do this as well. Yeah. They've got Zillow offers, so you can click on the button. So you know this most people the who trick, click that, yeah, it's the, all about the data, the baby. The real value is not <laughs> really in the solution. The
0: supposedly the pain point, no, yeah. This it's is all why, about the data. Have you got Amazon? Sorry, oh, no. we've let to get back to this. But have you got um, uh, what do you call it? Elixir, Elixir, <laughs> Google. <laughs> yeah. Have you got Google Home? I have. Oh my I God! See, my I find home. that astounding. that it's you pay. To have that thing in your home so that you can give it data so it can sell. It should be, they should be paying us to have those things in our homes.
1: Well, they're getting cheap, right? They're not, they're not. It doesn't they're, matter. They're, they're, they're so awesome. I live in a family
2: matter. of boys and I never have the remote control and now I don't need it thanks to Google because I just <laughs> oh. go and sit on the couch and say, hey, Google, that's, play. That's your pain you know, point. Play, that's right. Play suits. <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
0: Back, back to, yeah, back to the, so some of these solutions, that's a, a back, oh, sorry, I segued there, but that is a very interesting point that a lot of these solutions really aren't about the solutions, are they?
1: Not in that <laughs> case. That Open Doors, are, it's, you know, it looks on it's right, amazing website. It looks cool marketing. Um, but yeah, you call up open door and your house is worth two fifty. They offer you 200, They offer you something that you're not going to take. And then they sell you as a customer and say, well, why don't you speak to our real estate agents? We've got good relationships with Here's here's a few you speak to. And then they take a cut of the real estate commission. And so that's what right. I've heard that they, how their model kind of works. Tells work. Sometimes yeah. it's right. not, oh, yeah. they do
2: buy properties. They do buy properties. If, if yeah, you want to sell for 200, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, um, if it's really important to
0: you to get out now, mm.
1: yeah, well,
2: yeah,
0: it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a fallback <laughs> position. But I'm thinking more about the ones that sort of promise to say, look, you know, this vendor has been vetted. They've got a, the price is right. You know, if you make an offer via the app, then, then there's trust. You know what I mean? I, there's, there's a few of those around and I always think to myself, it takes away the human behavioural component, which is every owner wants more, well, other than those ones that are prepared to sell to Zillow or open door for mm. 200000 when it's really worth two fifty. But generally speaking, owners want more than they, they're really worth and generally speaking, buyers don't want to pay what they're worth. Do you think that that's something that that an app or technology can solve the, that problem? Well, look, I think the
2: reason, I think the reason that distrust exists. So I was talking to Tim McKibben actually from RON New South Wales yesterday about it. It's like, well, this is what the process is at the moment, is that you want to sell a property, that's great, talk to me, and if you want to buy a property, that's great, talk to me, and I'll manage all of the conversations. And then I'll tell you what you what mm. I think you need to know and I'll tell you as a buyer what I think you need to know. So and you know what? My life might get really busy and I might have stuff with the kids at school or I might have other buyers and sellers doing the same thing mm. and I might not get back to you until I'm ready to get back to you. And this is all the noise and stuff that creates the distrust. Mm. And, and you're talking and, about
0: the, the role of a salesperson. Yeah, the role yeah. of the
2: salesperson mm. is to be the to be the bottleneck in the communication and the understanding of what's going on. Mm. I mean, that's not a great role. So so what the technology is doing is actually not trying to bypass the role of the salesperson to be the person who helps, guides, coaches, and who has been through this process a hundred times before and knows how it plays out and understands the emotion and the and the behaviour that goes on and the fears and concerns and worries and joys that everyone has mm. and can recognise that behaviour and guide and help, but it's to get rid of the bottleneck stuff. Mm. And so the trust gets established because as a buyer I know that what I'm seeing is the stuff that the seller is also seeing. Mm. I know that I don't have to wait for four days to get a contract because I know that if I accept the offer to join the the room for the, you know, if I said that I like the property and I'm interested in making an offer on it, I can join the shared data room and see the contracts, you know, and and they can see that I've seen them, and mm. I know that. And if I decide not to make an offer, or if I decide to lowball it, and I want to play the game, and then then I then someone who's also in that space might outbid me. So mm. it's around trans like trust. Uh, trust gets built with transparency, and what the technology is doing is making it transparent, like mm. making – so making whatever the seller probably knows about their property and, mm. and can see about their property is something that the buyer can also find out.
0: Which is interesting because, I mean, the auction so – bringing them closer together. Yeah, and the auction process is often put forward by agents as being, well, that is the most transparent way to buy a property. And it is. It is. After all that stuff has been done, you know. Yeah. Um, when you're there, you actually can it's see – It's a deeply what, stressful process though, though very for most people. It's very deeply stressful for most people. <laughs> for um, both sellers and buyers. Yeah, yeah. And that's partly because there's so much else that's hidden – um, but it, it is quite interesting about that, putting all the data in one spot so that people can dip into it and get it and access it equally. Mm. And that is true because the reality is that, um, you know, like you still got a, you still got all these gates, you know, yeah. and like you said, that the agent will sort of modify what they say to one party and, and, and modify it again for another, because the reality is that they don't really know how everyone's going to react to what they say, so right. there is that element of gotta oh, you know, we've got gotta sort of couch this in a way that people can digest it. So it's very complicated. Mm. It's a really complicated thing. But it's always complicated because
2: when we're trying to hide things, it's because we're a little bit worried about what the outcome of that might be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, say Chris has got a house that's worth that he wants two fifty for maybe it's a unit, <laughs> somewhere in the country. <laughs> in Arizona. <laughs> that's it. <Go> yeah. <laughs> um, but if you've got a property that's, um, you know, like, like we'll say it's 250 and and you want 250 for it, but you know that the bathrooms are a bit overdue and that the toilet leaks a bit. And so, you know, open for inspections, you can just make sure it's pristine and it looks, it's as clean as it can be and, mm. and you can make sure it's nice. But you really hope that when the auction comes, no one notices that the toilet's leaking.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, why has Chris done that? It's, well, maybe it's because he doesn't have time, or he, well, he or he he's worried. Because he, well, he can, but why? Because he, <laughs> it's he, by he can't beware. Be, be,
0: you got to remember. It's,
2: well, it's by <laughs> beware, but why is it? By, why hasn't Chris fixed the toilet? Because I need to. It doesn't. No, no. But but why didn't you fix it while you were there? It's like I haven't had the time. I can't be bothered. <laughs> it's hard to get a plumber in because I'll have it to. Is. I will have to be home for four days while I wait for three mm. people to stand me up and not turn up to fix yep. my toilet. It's all of this stress that comes around yeah. it. So hmm. yeah, as the technology unless they, unless becomes the person more,
1: person going to the um, open home's going to use the toilet, then no one's going to check it, right? No, that's right. That's right. You can get <laughs> away with Spectre it. inspector it. Was, check.
2: But if it was really easy for you to capture a, um, to work out how much it's going to take to fix yeah. the toilet, or to get the toilet fixed because you could book a plumber on an app that actually guaranteed mm. that he would turn up, and and it wouldn't be, you would you would just fix it. Or you could be transparent about it, and the buyer coming in would go, "You know what? That's going to take sixteen dollars to fix. Mm. Uh, you know, it's just a missing valve or whatever."
1: I think it's so true. It's more,
2: but but we don't know what people come to like. So so what our fear is around making this transparent is that we assume that everyone will then behave exactly the same way. That's exactly, mm. and that's not don't. right. They don't because everyone's the, got their own agenda and their own context and their part own of the problem filters. Problem with
0: transparency. And look, I'm all for transparency. It's one of the values of my business, but. Mm. But that's because I also represent buyers and I only represent one buyer per property. So, um, you know, that's a very different um, Mm. sort of equation. But the thing is, and, and and it is true, I've been a sales agent, I know damn well that when I tell you one thing and I tell you, Chris, the exact same thing, you will react in one way and you'll react in a different way. And what you want as an agent is to corral, corral everybody to pretty much act in the same way, you know, because you all want them making offers at the same time effectively. Yep. That's fundamentally what you want to do. Mm. So it's a really, it's, it, you know, it's lovely and, and I'm all for transparency. I think everyone knows it's probably one of my personal values. Well, it is. But um, however, if other people don't value it, it doesn't necessarily transact in a way mm. that the agent gets the best outcome for their owner. You get my drift. You I, get, I do, yeah.
2: but I see other things coming through the pipe that are dealing with that as well. So there's a whole raft of new tech companies in Australia coming out right now that are looking at, well, how do you actually make that buying-selling process really transparent for both parties mm-hmm. and how do you help the agents manage those conversations yeah. in it? So Rezo um, in, out of Adelaide, um, not working in New South Wales yet, but um, hopefully very soon, at WA, South Australia, and um, I think Tassie, um, but basic and and then there's also um, Open, and then there's another one uh, that Dave uh, is doing, which I think is called Buyer Something Buyer App. Uh, anyway, but but they capture all of the information about the sale in one spot, and and then depending on which app you're using, but but buyers get invited to both see all the data and to make offers. Mm.
1: Um,
2: and, and their offers can be you know and, and so they can see the value of the property they can see and they get asked to offer what it's worth to them and they get asked to put the conditions in that they would want to. And so some often the best the highest price isn't what's accepted. Mm. it'll be a good price with even, but with terms around it that that are that are good. but it lets you be really transparent to about what your terms are and to put your best foot forward. And some of them let you see what other people have offered. Some of them don't, depends on which one it is. But, um, but with Rezzo it sort of
1: gives you a lot more. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing you a whole lot of money and or a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Kylie, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories.
2: I do, and and this is kind of in the fail fast kind of category. So um, this is a Dumbo from a f- a friend of mine. Um, so I had a friend when I was uh, when I was at News, and I was looking after the real estate sections across News, and uh, the girl that I sat next to, she had done the um, Gold Coast. White Sock Brigade and had bought three properties. Oh, yeah. So, so and white again, the White Shoe Brigade, yeah. Well, <laughs> not, with not white socks. socks. Well, I, mean, I think there might be socks in there as well. <laughs> knee
0: length, knee length socks. Knee length, yeah, knee <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the White Shoe and Sock Brigade, and brigade in the Gold, coast, yeah, on the Gold coast. coast. So, she
2: had, so, you know, I think had been through, you know, difficult divorce, all that sort of stuff, um, and decided that she wanted to be independent and organised. And so, she had bought a whole pile of properties in about two. Two thousand and twelve, or something like, mm. and it just before the GFC, you know, mm. and the Gold Coast hit it really, really hard. Hang on, so GFC was in two thousand
0: eight. Oh, uh, two
2: thousand eight. So, but, <laughs> but I, I'm trying to work 12, out what my time like 2012, was. Two thousand twelve was when was when the Gold Coast kind of went yeah, completely yeah, under. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Just yeah.
0: before Sydney took off. So, yes. Think of opportunity costs already. That's what I'm going. Oh on. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So she was mm-hmm. completely hocked up to her. Eyeballs and locked into these contracts that she couldn't get out of, and the market was completely tanking. And um, said to me, "What should I do?" So I, at the time, I was head of real estate uh, editorial at News. Um, I had access to all the call logic data, and I said, like, "Well, I'm not an expert, but I can see this is what's gone on, and you have to really, you have to, like, you have to make a call on what you know, like why don't." She's like, I just don't even know what's going on. Like, I know it's all going backwards and I'm panicking. Should I sell? It's like, well, I don't think we should make a decision on should you sell from the information you've shared so far. And so what we got to was basically you need to understand exactly how much this is costing you right now. So what's, you know, how much can you get for rent for them? How much is that going to take out of your living expenses every month? How are you going to get through that? And and so this is a Dumbo based on someone who actually – didn't want to face something but then did and really? came through it. Mm. So what she did, she had three properties that were all kind of around Carrara and places like, or you know, in that Gold Coast belt, that commuter belt. And um, so she, she worked out what her expenses were for it and they were basically going to send her under really, really quick. So she moved back in with her mum. Like she got rid of her rent. Like she just cut all her expenses right back but she hung on to them and I think, um, and from the last time I spoke to her, which was a long a while ago now, but she sold one of them a couple of years ago. So she hung on to like, because she was like, I just want to sell them. I just want this pain to go away. It's like, if you, if this pain goes away right now, you know how much you're going to lose and that's going to really take you out. Like, yeah. because she just, she was so locked she in. She was trapped. So mm-hmm. She was completely trapped, but she got out of the rental agreement thing that she had. She, she was right. able to get out of that. She got them rented, um, but took a loss on what they were getting rented for and, um, and it's just the importance I think of even when you don't want to, be real. Like mm. like you have to you have to pull your big girl pants up and you have to look like look at the scary thing right in the face and go, Okay, let's make a decision based on what I actually know is gonna happen if I do this or if I don't do this. And then how can I just paddle through it? So she mm. she went through all that for like so she lived with her mum for like the next two years just to get through it and wow. then and then came through it and then sort of Got rid of them once the market got back up to there.
1: What a stressful experience. What a though, stressful right? experience, and so, what a horrible yeah. experience. What a life changing yeah. experience, too. Yeah. Um, you know, and what a financial cost, relationship cost, health cost. You know, there's so many other elements here that get forgotten about with property. You know, like yeah. well, the Spruikers will be out there and selling stuff. Now, you're destroying lives. Like mm. if you are actually misselling stuff and you're just selling it to people, and these are big, you're not selling t shirts, you're selling big financial mm. investments that can. You know, completely ruin someone yeah. um, who don't know what they're doing and they're signing up to things. Um, and she was three. But I think, she, she in the same but area. I, think,
2: I think, like, I think this is a, I hope this is a good tale too, because, like, so when we were talking about, like, when we were, uh, like, a lot of the conversations we had, she's like, I feel so stupid. How could I fall for it? Like, she felt mm. like she'd been scammed and mm. she was really locked in. And I remember saying to her, Look, you have to, f- like, it's happened and, you have to kind of forgive yourself for letting like you need to stop beating yourself up that yeah. it happened. Yeah. Like you were vulnerable and this kinda of happened. That's right. And and feeling sorry for yourself is completely normal, but it's actually not going to fix anything. So mm-hmm. we need to get like we need to sort you need to you, you do need to pull your big girl pants up and work out what we're gonna do yeah. it, what you're gonna do about it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself because that's not help it's not helping not in going any to solve way the now. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and let's just put and put that energy into the action that's gonna fix it mm. rather than
1: yeah, I mean when I would get a client and you kind of will talk through what they've done and we hear, you know, hear these stories every week. And um, <laughs> you know, I just say to them straight up when there's when there's when something's not right, or they've got a property that's not good, or there's they've made a bad mistake, I just say to them straight up look, my approach to giving advice is quite blunt, just to talk about the facts, explain the situation. There's no judgment and what passed or what you could it. have done mm, or hindsight. Hindsight's easy for us all. We are where we are today. Mm. What we care about is what we're going in the future and what we can do. And, you know, and sometimes you've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes and we've just got to figure what they are are, and start to put a plan in place. And then all all that fear or that worry is kind of gone for the client because the reality is, it is what it is. And let's just move forward. And, you know, and that's the, and they're actually making the best thing they can be doing is taking action.
2: Exactly. And actually
1: thinking about it and going actually, yeah, okay, I did that. And now, but what I'm going to do is X, Y, Z. And sometimes though, it is keeping poor assets. You know, like I've got a client at the moment. It's got a place in Perth. It's a house and land package. It's, you know, it's Ouch. right on the outskirts. <laughs> um, I think they paid 360. I think it's worth 270 or something, right? Mm. The loan's 290. Yeah. So like the loan is 20 grand more than what the property's worth. Mm. And you got agent's costs. They sell it. They've got their 30, 40 grand down, down. that they yep. have to pay out of their own pocket. Just luckily it's not cross-secured. Yep. Cause then it would be eating into their other equity and, you know, and it's, you know, the, all these stories or client has got you know, seven properties that are all over the place and now has to unwind it. And that's a lot of effort, you know, that he's going to have to go through mm. to get rid of them and things like that. But every time he gets rid of a poor one, it creates opportunities for other things. And so I think the best thing to do is just dealing with it today and, um, yep. you know, accepting that you may have made mistakes, but you know, we all have, so it's, um, that's good. It's good Dumbo.
0: Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts I, to hear about it. It's, um, it does. It does because hurt.
2: you know, and you know why. I think because people do make these mistakes with the best intentions. I was because, thinking, yeah, and they do it at the time. And I, I remember her telling me, she, "I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought yeah. I was being a grown up, and I thought I was being sensible, and I thought I was investing in my future, yes. and I thought I was doing, you know, I thought she I was would doing have been it right. full of
0: positivity and full of full yeah. of promise, and 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 basically been fed a diet of manure. She's reading a lot of these property investment magazines as well around that. And, and yeah, like you say, you know, this is what I've, t- I'm, I'm told, this is what smart what you do to make people what, do. Yeah. Smart girls,
2: right? Yeah. The mainstream are
1: unfortunately yeah. are, are pretty guilty of this, you know, um, you know, they'll want great stories, but then if you flip over, you know, page four, there's a young couple, there buying their first home and they're taking control of their financial future. And then you look at sometimes what they're buying and you think, like this is what you're pushing out as success. Yeah, we need that, to you know, you look have at to them kinda, in 10 years' time. You have to kind of get on the market and they're, you know, taking control of their life. Well, not really. They just don't know what they're doing. They've actually gone and bought a really poor asset that they're, A, going to outgrow in a couple of years and, B, it's a poor investment. And, mm. you know, you're putting them up as a, a pinup of what success is. So, yeah. Well, anyway.
0: on that note, thank you very much, Kylie. Thank you. Um, Been a really interesting chat because I know we've had offline a few chats about prop tech and just dabbled on the very edge of it and I know that's our conversations I and mean, in here we've only dabbled on the very edge of it as well I think that um there's a lot more that um you know if anyone's interested they can look into and I know you've got some links um, and we will make sure that we in include that information in the show notes. Yeah. And, um, the web,
2: the, I've got a presentation on it, a webinar that is with, uh, Pippa with the Property Investment yes. Professionals
0: Australia that's Excellent. now available. So if you'd like to find more. Wonderful. We'll, we'll put the link, link in the show notes. Cool.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kylie. Thanks. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is. Just picking up on what you were saying back there, Chris. I think the, the hard part with a lot of this is that, you know, as a buyer, it's extremely frustrating, right? You know, you're, Call up and agent, they send you on a little bit of a goose chase and then, you, you know, you speak to them and then you speak to them again they've told you something that contradicts what they said. And you're like, I can't believe they said that. They said that last week and they told me this. And, you know, I was on the phone last week, you know, and this agent was on, you know, to a client, you know, this, this mythical buyer in London and, you know, you need <laughs> oh, to make this offer by 12 o'clock. And, <laughs> and they know. want a
0: six month settlement. There's, yeah, there's there was, usually these little clues that they give.
1: And he was, um, you know, he was pulling his hair out, like what was going on, right? And you know, this is one of the values of having a buyer's agent. He actually knows he's speaking, so he mm. get the cut through. Heard that and, before. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, come on. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, but and I was quite a like laughing at the situation because you know, as a buyer, you get you pull your hair out, but as a seller, you know, you know that's what sells the property is kind of mythically, kind of creating, you know, supply and uh, you know demand and urgency. And that's what made him well, kind of
0: back to the elephant. The thing is, social proof and fear of missing out and scarcity and all those things. Humans behave in ways that are emotional. So it's all nice to have all this rational information via tech, mm. but the humans still got to react in to a the rational way in order to make it truly. But they Why? don't.
2: I don't think they exactly. will. I don't they think the don't. tech we, will. I mean, we I, don't.
0: We I, don't react. No,
2: we don't. And I don't think the tech's going to change no, that. Not I think it's going to help us feel that we're not getting ripped off. Because I mean, that, yep. the the worst thing about you know the worst thing about that buyer journey that you ex, that you explained us before is that. The whole, well, I've put an offer in and I've got no now idea what? if, you yeah, now <laughs> what? Like when, when are you going to call me back? Mm. Are you going to call me back? Like, was I completely off the mark? Like, where did I, you know, how, oh, where did I fit? Now, there's it? another buyer now. Oh. There's another buyer now. So what yeah. am I, like, what's the competition look like? Mm. What do we need to do to make this serious, you know? Well, the
1: funny thing in this situation is that the agent was purposely ignoring his calls. Mm. Uh, and so the agent wouldn't pick up the phone for two days. To try to and to make s-
2: him feel that sports. it was.
1: Because he's like, I'm so busy. Uh, and, and you talk on text. Because he wanted the, and so oh. like this is the experience the buyer's getting <laughs> mm. because, and then when the agent's trying to sell it's kind of like really hazy and coming up with all this. And I don't think the the property didn't have any other buyers on it. Yeah, no. we've had own. that a lot. And so, yeah. but, but the client, um you know, was trying to buy this thing. And, you know, the only reason what made him make an offer, it was the fear of him not getting it. And so if you bring transparency into this situation, he would know that he's the only buyer. He's going to go lowball offers. That's not what the seller wants. And so the market's just not, the deal's not going to happen. And you know what I mean? So I think a lot of this transparency in real estate, as soon as you bring transparency in, then you basically, you know, a lot of property just won't sell for, you know, premium prices, right? You won't create <laughs> a, you know, the whole industry is built on not having transparency.
0: Mm. Small you know mirrors. But so did it
2: sell in, in the end? Did he buy it, it, did, it? in the end he, for a pri- um, And he was, was happy with the price that he offered?
1: No, he had to go much higher than what he wanted to offer because the only reason, because of the well, feeling Because of,
2: the seller wouldn't sell if yeah, it was that.
1: And there's a feeling of scarcity there that if he doesn't get it, someone else could buy it. And So, but yeah, here's the thing. I mean, it, this is what really,
0: really frustrates me with buyers. Okay. And I don't know what process your mate went through to work out what that property was worth, but I find, and I've talked to buyers all the time who've made an offer and- and they're obviously not my clients, these people, and I say to them, how did you determine the price to put your offer in at? Oh, well, I worked out that last time it sold and I thought it might have gone up, you know, X percent per year and then, oh, Mm. you know, the agent's quoting this and so I added 10% or blah, blah, blah. blah." And it's all this stuff that has got absolutely nothing to do do with the property. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Um, or I can get this much money, and I figured I'm, I'm almost at the end of you know wh- what I'm going to be able to afford in this area. So therefore, I've just offered what I could afford. You know, they're, they're and, and these are educated, smart, successful people who obviously excel in their own field of expertise, mm. and they suck at buying property. And I so often they make this first offer, and then they get the call from you know oh from the agent oh there's a buyer in London. That's usually the trigger that actually causes them to pick up the phone and call my office. Mm. And then we had this conversation and sort of start digging. Okay, well, tell us a bit of the background. What's the story? Why do you want this property? Blah, 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 blah. What do you want to do? Uh, how have you worked out the price to pay? Oh, I've just mm, sheepishly plucked a figure out of the air. Right. Yeah. When the agent comes back to you and you've plucked a figure out of the air, you have no foundation for that figure then they say to you, oh, well, someone else from London is going to buy it or elsewhere or whatever. Then FOMO kicks in and you are the elephant is running rampant. You have to understand, people, if you're going to spend multi-million dollars on property, you have to try to work out what the frigging thing is worth. Mm-hmm. I seriously does my head in. And I and this over and over again I have these conversations with people. Yesterday, you know, Rachel in my office, she gets this call from, Somebody wants us to bid at auction, Now we have a whole bunch of questions we ask, you know, how have you determined your limit you know da 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 da, da all this whole, whole bunch of stuff i I know property, I've bid before, I'm comfortable, I know, I know, I know, I know well why are you calling us mm. so somewhere <laughs> there's a niggle at the back of your mind, honey, that you don't know, mm. but anyway, in the no end because worried. we ask so many questions and we said, you know what we' really and truly you don't need us if you know everything, you don't why pay us? Go mm. off and do it yourself yeah. the thing is that People i want buy, to
2: blame if I don't get it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to get it. Well, if you want to get it at all costs and it doesn't matter and you're not going to regret that, just stick your hand up knock and your, whack the Rex under your You know, there's <laughs> all but sorts of crazy stuff being noticed. Yeah, if you do care, take the time to actually work it out. Sorry, I've just had to rant, I know. But it's yeah. just, do you know what I mean? You are less susceptible to some agent who can't negotiate because the agents who can't negotiate will pull in the bu- bu- fictitious buyer from London. Mm. That is their go-to when they don't know how to negotiate, right? Mm. But the buyer equally doesn't know how to negotiate in that situation and Mm. the buyer has to take responsibility for their own part of this equation. Please join us for our next episode because we have a doozy. We are interviewing Kerry Hunt, who is the manager of the building certification team at the Inner West Council in Sydney. We get the inside scoop into private certifiers, whether they really are in fact the culprits of our problem in our big buildings in New South Wales but not just New South Wales actually in Victoria and Queensland as well we also get to understand a little bit about how complicated the legislation is around building but also the types of certificates you need to look for when you're buying a property that's been renovated look there just a couple of things that we covered I absolutely encourage you to join
1: us for this episode. Don't forget we're on all the social channels we're on Facebook we're on LinkedIn we're on Twitter
0: or you can connect with us on The Elephant elephant in the room.com.au the links are all there for you
1: please connect and send us a message we'd love to hear from you
0: the elephant in the room property podcast is recorded at the sydney sound brewery this week's podcast was recorded by john Risk, editorial by gordy fletcher
1: until next week don't be a dumbo
0: Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.